Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to City Church. I want to invite you to connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, access podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We're so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our pastors here at City Church. We would love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us by emailing prayer at citychurch.life. If you'd like to be a part of what City Church is doing in our city and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to citychurch.life forward slash give and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We consider resources like this to be supplemental and not a replacement for community. If you live in the Savannah area, please consider joining us for service. We hope you enjoy this message. in week uh, two of our series NSFW, and uh, somebody pointed out last week that with just some minor alterations, the F could turn into Ferb, and if you don't know what that means, it's okay, but it's a Phineas and Ferb reference right there, so you can be plagued the remainder of service. You are welcome. Uh, if that's your show. So, uh, not safe for work. That's what we're talking about. And so we're hoping to cover some content in here about relationships that uh, would be uh, kind of hopefully countercultural in the respect that uh, we know that there is a very pervasive thought on how a relationship should look like and be acted out by the world around us, but Scripture teaches us to do that very, very differently. And so last week we jumped in, week one, with Adam and Eve, and uh, I've got a live video screen up here, just so you guys know, showing the cameras. Uh, and uh, we jumped in with Adam and Eve, and we went through and we, I broke down for you guys that, that this idea of, uh, of Adam kind of identifying who he was birthed in the process of Eve coming into his life. And so when he saw Eve for the first time, it was only then that he could name himself. And so he had been responsible for naming everything around him. And in the process of naming everything, uh, then Eve comes out and of course he names Eve. And it was in that moment that he is able to identify who he is. And I, I think that it's this really beautiful picture of what a relationship should look like. And, and I just want to say this, that this is our first glimpse at human-to-human -human community. And so, yes, it is, it's symbolic of a few things. One of them is it is a picture of marriage between Adam and Eve, but it is also a picture of relationship between friends. And so uh, this can apply in a lot of ways. And so in order for us to know who we are, we have to be in relationship with other people. That's the big idea here. And, and because of the way that the, this is written and the kind of what, what we would say is just in, in the sense of poetry, this really gives us this kind of picture of like that happily ever after. And I, I don't know about you, uh, but I know a lot of people love a good romantic movie that has a happily ever after. 
did anybody get the opportunity to watch one of those this week for Valentine's? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, hear, I heard a yes, and then I saw Mark pointing, and I immediately thought, Lifeway, I mean, not Lifeway, Life, uh, Lifetime. Lifeway is the Christian bookstore. Lifetime is the propagator of Christmas and women's movies. Uh, uh, all year long, probably has a few of those, right? <laughs> Of course. And so we, the, there, there's a market for this, right? Because nobody's sitting around in their, in their childhood going, you know, I really hope that I find a relationship that is a disaster one day, right? Nobody's sitting around going, well, one day I hope I meet, uh, you know, Prince Devastation and Princess like rip me off and beat me to death. You know, nobody's making those types of dreams when it comes to looking to the future. In fact, we all naturally are kind of wired to wanting that happily ever after. And then there comes that moment for some and not all, right, that, that you're like, you know what, I'll settle for just about an ever after. Like, can we just make it to the end? It doesn't have to be happy, but can I, can I just find somebody? Can I just get to the ever after? And and then for, for some, it's even just, can I have a happy beginning? Can I just get to a start? And, and what happens is, is that as we live life, we begin to watch as, as some relationships around us begin to kind of combust, explode, fall apart. And then some, some people, they end up walking through life with relationships, and, and you might look at them and think, man, they, they don't seem to have a care in the world. Their relationship is so great. And, 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 and so when we all come together in an environment like this, we honestly are all coming with our own perspective on what relationships look like, from past experiences to current experiences. Some who have walked through marriages that have fallen apart. Some who haven't even been in the marriage portion of it. They've just been in the relationship that has failed. And maybe it failed because of some type of unfaithfulness or because of a indiscretion. Uh, maybe you were in a relationship and it turned out that you ended up with somebody who was uh, a liar or a cheater or, or maybe all of a sudden you've been in this relationship and you turned out to be the liar or the cheater and you're trying to walk out this kind of path of figuring out how can I become whole so that maybe I can be worthy of a better relationship. And so what I don't want a series like this to do is to paint a picture that, hey, like there is a path to happily ever after and it's guaranteed. I think that's a disservice to you. That's a disservice that the church can sometimes bring. And it's like, hey, if you'll follow all these steps, you're guaranteed happiness. Uh, that is not what scripture uh, brings to us. Now, I will tell you that scripture does give us a, a, a way to create a good foundation and the tools necessary that if you have two people in that relationship that are willing to do the hard work, this goes from marriage to dating all the way down to just friendship. If you'll have people who are willing to do the hard work, we have the tools that are available to be able to make relationships work. But the reality is that not everybody's willing to do the hard work. Some people are, 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 are not going to step up to the plate. And so today I've titled the, the uh, message, Married to a Prostitute. And unfortunately for some, that becomes a reality. 
It becomes a reality that the relationship that I am in is not the relationship that I thought that I was going to be in. And, and there's a really good text for us to look at, and I'm going to go through this today. It is a very short book in the Bible. It is the book of Hosea, and you could go home and read this entire thing in a very short sitting. It would not be uh, complicated for you uh, and would not take a lot of energy. And there is a lot of heartache inside of this book, as well as a call to redemption and restoration. So uh, Hosea is the writer, the author of the book. It takes place in a, over about a 25-year period. This is uh, during a time uh, 200 years after Israel split into two nations. And so you will have Israel, which is referred to by some writers, including Hosea, as uh, Ephraim. And then the second part was Judah. And so there was a divide. Uh, uh, Israel proper right here is under the rule of Jeroboam II, and Jeroboam II is literally one of the worst kings that they will ever have. He is a, a completely uh, evil man given over to adultery, the practices of pagan worship. He is not towing the line as a leader of calling the people around him to excellence and making sure that provision is met for them. Instead, uh, he has cultivated this culture of do what you want to do, live how you want to live, and ultimately sitting there on their doorstep waiting for the right moment is the Assyrian kingdom, and they are going to come and absolutely devastate Israel. There is going to be a devastation that takes place, and it's not just going to be one where they come in and take them as slaves. They're going to come in and destroy their land, uh, their buildings, burn their farms, uh, uh, just d destroy families. This is an enemy whose pagan influences are actually invading the people of Israel. So, so think about this for just a moment, because I want you to have this picture that this is a nation that has an enemy, and they are adopting their enemy's way of thinking and way of life, and the enemy now who in some ways that you would think like, oh man, they're kind of befriending, they're, they're, they're learning to be more tolerant of each other, they are waiting for the opportunity to come in and bring total and complete destruction. Hosea is not just any man, he is a prophet, and he is uh, among the prophets listed for us in the Old Testament. In fact, he is actually, his book is called One of the Minor Prophets, and it's called a minor prophet, not because he was less of a prophet, but because uh, of the amount of content that we have from him. The majority of Hosea is written in uh, poetry, and so it has this, we'll get to some of it in a moment, it has this feeling of like, I, I, I can connect to the emotion of what he is writing about. So the word prophet, just to help you uh, have a picture uh, of what this is, this is a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God, and this word prophet is found uh, following this time in Israel. Other religions pick up this word. Why? Because they begin to see that the prophets of Yahweh, the prophets of God, 
actually are the ones that come with some authority because they represent the will of God. And so other religions begin to pick up this idea. And so throughout even our scripture, we will see the prophets of other gods being mentioned, right? Because there is a race to try to prove themselves to be as true or as faithful as the one true living God, Yahweh. Now, Hosea also, for some perspective, takes place at the exact same time as both Isaiah and Micah. So if you're reading through the book of Isaiah or you're reading through the book of Micah, Hosea is happening simultaneously, okay? And, and as, as prophets go, right, Hosea kind of has a raw deal. When you're looking through the Old Testament, you've got Ezekiel, right? And he's brought into the valley of dry bones, and he is given the ability to speak life and see this army rise up. That's a pretty cool little, little experiment, right? Jonah, who is, who, who is a racist, angry prophet, is given the opportunity and used to lead thousands to the Lord, right? And then, and then you have Isaiah, and he actually gets to go into the throne room of God and see what's happening. And and then Hosea gets chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Right? This starts very differently than the other prophets. Hosea's ministry is beginning. He's, he's like, man, I've got this connection. I'm walking in my calling. And, and God says, Hey, Hosea, I want you to go and take a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Jim, you, you worked really hard to find a translation that used the word whoredom. I did not. Because this is cleaning it up a little bit for us, all right? Okay? And so there is a picture here of what? a prostitute. And we'll say that because we will get into some of chapter two in a moment, and we will find out that she is, uh, he is married to a woman who is engaging in sexual acts, and she believes that she is receiving compensation for this. So what is a prostitute? I want to take a moment and give you a public service announcement in case you were not aware. Uh, a prostitute is one who engages in sexual activity for payment. And this is an interesting topic because there is a movement around our country and other parts of the world to legalize prostitution. The Harvard Civil Liberties Review says this, people, especially women, sell their bodies for financial gain in legalized fashions on a daily basis. Pornography is legal and so is exotic dancing. It's common for people to have sexual relationships with richer partners so as to benefit from their wealth. Whether this is through seeking out wealthy life partners or through the less formal but increasingly prevalent phenomenon known as sugar dating, I had to look that up, um, it's kind of like finding a sugar daddy, but you're not so much committed in the relationship. It's also common for people to remain in unhappy relationships because they do not want to lose financial stability or spend money on a divorce. So the argument here uh, by Harvard Civil Liberties Review is that, hey, if we've already got all of this debauchery and craziness happening, why not go ahead and allow them to make their own decisions and do as they please? And I'm going to tell you today that you might walk away going, I don't like you, Pastor Jim, you're a misogynist or whatever. I just want to tell you this. I have a wife who I love, a daughter who I love. And when I actually look at the 
empirical data of what it looks like for the life of a prostitute, I am not going to advocate for the legalization of prostitution. Deuteronomy chapter 23, thank you for that single clap back there, I appreciate it. <laughs> Verse 18, this is what the scripture says about prostitution, and if we're Christians, this should matter, right? It says, you shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog, and I'm going to pause for a moment because you're like, well, they're considering, they're kind of comparing a prostitute and a dog for a moment, but there's actually a different picture that's taking place here because the word for dog there is the word kileb, and it is of a dog or a male prostitute. So what's actually happening is there's a little bit of dignity for the female prostitute. There is no dignity for the male prostitute, and so what the scripture is saying is that the prostitute or the wages of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. And so the scripture tells us that if we uh, are going to live in a civilization that is like this and people become a Christian, right, they need to understand a follower of the one true living God that this is an abomination so much so that it says you can't even tithe off of the money that would be made. Now, let me go on and give you a couple of, let's look at some secular or extra-biblical perspectives for a moment. The risks for experiencing physical violence and prostitution are very high. An occupational survey noted that 90% of women in prostitution were victims of violence, with more frequent injuries than workers in those occupations considered, most dangerous like mining, forestry, and firefighting. I actually read one article where it is more dangerous to be a prostitute than it is to be an Alaskan king crab fisherman, right? And you're being told that that's the most dangerous job in the world when you're watching Discovery Channel, right? Uh, another one for you, a little bit more data. Two factors have been associated with greater violence and prostitution. The greater the woman's poverty, the greater the violence she experiences, and the longer she is in prostitution, the more likely she is to experience violence. And so one of the arguments for legalizing prostitution is, well, if she's really poor and she needs access to funds, this is a really great way for her to be able to make money. Problem is that the data says that if she does this and she is ex exceptionally uh, poor, then she runs an even greater risk of experiencing uh, abuse. And you say, well, you know, these could really be arguments for legalizing it because aren't these the things that people who are prostitutes illegally experience? Actually, that's not the case. If you go over to Vancouver, where it has been legal in parts of Canada for prostitution, they say that in a study of Vancouver women in prostitution, 75% had suffered physical injuries from the violence in prostitution. These include stabbings and beatings, concussions and broken bones, broken jaws, ribs, collarbones, fingers, spinal injuries, injuries and a fractured skull, cuts and black eyes. 50% of these women had head injuries resulting from violent assaults with, for example, baseball bats and crowbars. Many had their heads slammed against walls and against car dashboards. Sex buyers and pimps regularly subjected them to extreme violence when they refused to perform a specific sex act. So public service announcement for you today is that, ladies, you deserve better than that. All right? And that is true. And men, shame on you. Shame on you if you pursue a prostitute. Because the ladies in our lives deserve better, and the argument over legalizing this or not legalizing this would not be there if the depravity of men were not such as that we created a market by going out there and trying to hire ladies to do these things. And so my challenge for men is grow up. Grow up and be a better person. Now, we'll move on here because 
God has a lot to say about whoredom in Hosea chapter 1, right? I told them to keep a counter on how many times I can say this word because it makes me uncomfortable. All right, so take for yourself a wife of whoredom. Three primary theories here. Why would God say this, right? What does this look like? Could God legitimately be telling him, hey, go find yourself a prostitute? So theory number one is that this whole thing's a vision, right? That Hosea is sitting here and he's in a trance and God is like, I'm going to walk you through a hypothetical situation and we're going to call it marrying a prostitute. Now, the problem with this particular theory is that anytime we see visions inside of Scripture, we're usually told that it's a vision. So why create a vision that you could not actually tell people it was a vision, but instead you needed to lead them down a path to make them think that it wasn't a vision? And the Scripture says that God is not the author of confusion, right? Another theory is that he needed to go and find a woman who was a known prostitute. He needed to literally go out and find somebody who already acted like this, and that is who he needed to pursue. And then the third theory is that he needed to find a woman who he believed would one day be a prostitute. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be honest that the majority of scholars land right there on that second one, and that this was somebody who was already an unfaithful person. That Hosea had to go out and pursue a relationship with somebody who had already walked through some really dark places. Now, he says, I want you to go and then have children of whoredom. And there are two primary theories here. The first one is that because mom is a prostitute, the children will not love God. And so by going and and taking a prostitute to be your wife, that when you have children and mom is a prostitute, the stigma is going to be there. And so the children, there's no way they could honor God, right? The second one is that because mom is a prostitute, the identity of the father is uncertain. This is like, this is really heavy. He's being called into a life that nobody sits around going, if I'm writing out a, a, a little vision statement for my life, I'm including these elements in there. And let me tell you something about him. Because he has a right relationship with God and because he is called to do something, really what I will show you in a moment that is pretty spectacular and stunning because it benefits all of us and shows the true nature and character of God, he is obedient. He will be obedient. And so he goes and he finds this woman and uh, he marries her and they have three children. And uh, some, some scholars say that it's almost as if like, like, like at some point in their relationship, it turned and she went back to this lifestyle that perhaps during this time of having children, she had actually kind of, kind of found a place of happiness and, and that it's almost like she was seduced by the nightlife. It literally, like, like what was happening in the world around her like, was so enticing that she was looking at how these other people were living and she was remembering something from her past and there was some type of connection and she said, I want to go and experience this again. And so, and she does, and she does. 
And, and, and I want to move here into Hosea chapter 2, and I'm, I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture. I've already read a lot off of the screen, but I really can't word this any better than what he writes here, beginning in verse 2. He says, plead with your mother, plead. She is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever walked through relationship hurt with somebody or you've ever walked through relationship hurt. But can I tell you that relationship hurt can bring out a lot of very raw emotion. And I, I just want to point here that, that he is speaking and he says, I am so hurt right now that I would have her dead. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but, not, but shall not find them. Then she sh shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. He says, I am going to make her life so miserable. And I am going to make sure that every person that she ever comes in contact with knows exactly the type of miserable, rotten person she is that she will one day sit up and go, man, things were better when I was with him, and she will want to come back. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bells when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me. And then he tags this little note here at the end, declares the Lord. This is what he says. He says, so be it, God. And this is what this showed me as I was preparing for this, is that those emotions that people who are walking through 
broken relationships are feeling like anger, hurt, doubt, confusion. These aren't, these aren't, these aren't myths. Hosea is, is literally walking down this path of brokenness. So much so that in his heart, what he wants is for her to pay. And, and maybe some of you have walked down that path before. Maybe you have walked through a relationship that has fallen apart, and you sit in here sometimes every week, and you still have all of these scars, maybe even open wounds from those relationships. I think something that's really important for us to understand, too, is that, is that First of all, her unfaithfulness was a sin in the sight of God. Prostitution was a sin in the sight of God. But it wasn't just simply that she was engaged in this type of sexual immorality. She had also taken on the practices of other gods. And so, so Hosea's writing, and he's talking about how like, the way she's living is, is that she is making sacrifice to Baal. And, and I want to just talk for a moment about Baal, just so you have a little per- perspective. This is God. Uh, Baal was a god worshipped in many ancient Middle Eastern communities, especially among the Canaanites, who apparently considered him a fertility deity and one of the most important gods in the pantheon of gods that they worshipped. How did Baal really get his footing, or how did this teaching get its footing in there? It came from Jezebel, who had brought the prophets of Baal into the land, trying to, at her very core, push out the idea that Yahweh was the one true living God. And so nat- there's a, she comes by this naturally, because the world around her is one who will talk about relationship with God, but will participate in the practices of idolatry and immorality. And so we're reading this, and a lot of times we'll read through Scripture and we'll try to think about, well, this, how does this apply to them, right? Surely it doesn't apply to us. And yet, I think that if we're really honest and we think about the picture of the church today and the way that the church in the United States of America at least can sometimes act is that sometimes it can take on looking like we become tolerant of things that God says don't be tolerant of. He goes on in Hosea 3, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. This is, this is, this is insane. His ministry starts out with God saying, hey, I've chosen you. I want to speak through you. And I, what I want you to do is go find a prostitute and marry her. And then they have three children. And then she runs completely crazy. And she is now with another man. And God speaks again and says, I want you to go and take her back. I want you to go and take her back. And look at this. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, that's pretty bad. But even though they love cakes of raisins, I mean, this is a, this is a, a food slam. 
Like God says, God says, look, let's talk about sexual immorality. Let's talk about pagan worship. Let's talk about idolatry, sacrifice. But hey, I know y'all think that's where it stops, but you love your food more than you love me. You'd rather have a cake of raisins. And I will tell you that a cake of raisins was a delicacy at the time. You're thinking right now like, fruitcake, really? I think it's in 2 Kings when uh, David goes to take back the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, he is, uh, or it, it, I think it's actually 2 Samuel, and he goes to take back the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, when, when this is happening, and it talks about kind of the, 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 uh, the loot that he is able to get during this time in his uh, raid, one of the things that's mentioned there is cakes of grapes and cakes of raisins, and so this was, must have been considered something that was excellent, Right? The picture that's being painted is God says, listen, listen, this is, I'm going to help you understand that by going and taking her back, it'll be very symbolic of how I take back my people, even though they turn their back on me for all types of things. It sounds crazy, right? It sounds crazy. And it got me to thinking about how God views us. And I remembered this passage in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Right? That, 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 that the God who comes to us, when he comes to us, he is coming to the apple of his eye. And I was thinking about how, how much he loves us. And, and this passage kind of, it, it came to the surface. And I thought, well, why, what? that's a funny term, the apple of his eye, right? And, and so I was looking it up, and this is the interlinear right here. And it actually translates out to be the apple. The problem is, is, is looking at it through the context of what an apple meant for them, right? It was not like there was the abundance of apple trees everywhere. So again, a delicacy, something that if you had the apple, right, you had something of value. And if we look at another place where this is used in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10, he says, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye, and what we find is that this, this uh, word here in the Hebrew, it actually translates to mean little man of eye. And the parallel to the apple is that a lot of fruit is not shiny, but an apple is shiny. It was one of the fruits that would take on a reflection, a little bit of light. And if you got it shiny enough, you could almost see the silhouette of yourself in it, just like you could if you got close enough to the pupil of an eye. And so the picture that's being painted there is that this is, this is the way God loves us, is that at the point that you can see your reflection in his pupil, you will understand that at that moment, you are all he sees. That's the God that loves us. That's how God views us. That's what God sees in us, is everything, and he still chooses us. So go back to Hosea chapter 2, down to verse 14, and he gets through this rant where he is filled with anger and rage. 
And, 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 and then he has a moment and he says right here, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre. And this word means to trouble. So he says, he says what? He says, I will make the valley of trouble that she is in a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. What Hosea is saying is like, I have some really raw emotions. I am filled with a lot of anger. But I have a relationship with God that calls me not to just repentance, but it calls me to forgiveness. We talk a lot about repentance and going and making things right before the Lord. Oh, God, I'm sorry for this. God, I'm sorry for that. But there's also an expectation in Scripture that we learn how to forgive. He goes on here in verse 16, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and I no longer will call you my bell. And so we're getting this picture here in these first few chapters of how God is allowing Hosea to walk through a devastating relationship so that we will reap the benefit of being able to see that even in the midst of that chaos, he can forgive her the same way that God can forgive us. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth and they shall be remembered by the name, by name no more. So when gripped by these emotions, Hosea is faced with two questions. So, and I think that this is probably a good practice. When we walk through relationship failure and hurt, Two questions that, that we should be able to ask and perhaps should ask. And maybe, maybe you're a little bit down the path and, you, path and you haven't asked these questions, but I think these would be good questions for you to create some resolution with. How does God feel when I'm unfaithful? Right? Somebody has hurt me. Somebody has wronged me. I am dealing with a lot of emotion and what is the picture that's being painted? How does God feel when I am unfaithful? Now, there are a lot of instances, and I don't have time to go into all of them today, but you will see times, for instance, when he is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, right? God has brought them out of slavery. He has shown them his supernatural might and power. He has made promise and provision for them. And he is on the mountain. He wanted them to come. He wanted to meet with everybody. But they were too afraid because every God they had worshipped their entire lives never showed up. And this God comes as what? A cloud by day, a fire by night, and now is sitting as a fire on top of a mountain. It's a little bit different manifestation than the gods they had been worshipping. And so they had some fear. And so God's up here, and he's, and he's meeting with Moses. And what are they doing down below? They're, they're saying, well, Moses has abandoned us, so we need to make a idol so that we can worship God. And what does God say? God says, I want to destroy them all. Here's what I'm saying. That emotion that you feel when a relationship is going south and somebody has done you wrong and you feel this feeling of like, I want to end you right now, right? That, that emotion, that feeling 
First of all, it's, it's natural, okay? But it's not exclusive. And Moses says, God, God, can, can you please, can you please show some, some mercy? And what does God do? God says, yes. Why? Because they are my people. H- how do we know that? Remember back at the Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel falls, right? God divides everybody. And what does it say? It says that he reserved a portion of the nations for himself. He reserved and saved out a portion. Why? Because he loved humanity and he needed to be able to walk in right relationship with us. And then secondly, how does God respond when I'm unfaithful? And that is what led to the shift in Hosea's emotions. It's because he came to the realization that God doesn't act this way. No one said God is filled with grace and second chances and third chances. And can I tell you, second and third chances aren't about you taking that person back. Like, like when we're talking about that physical relationship, all right? Because there's a tremendous amount of devastation that's going uh, to come to, to uh, Israel. We're talking about what is happening on a spiritual level, what is happening on a humanity level, not what is happening inside of my four walls. Hey, you come back in and bring your devastation. No, what it means is, hey, I forgive you, and my prayer is that you will walk in right relationship with God. So it is perfectly okay, and Scripture does a good job at laying this out for us, that it is okay to walk away from relationships, especially when those relationships are broken. So today's message is not an invitation for you to stay in an abusive relationship or an an abusive household. That's not the invitation. The invitation is for you to be rightfully upset about the position that you're in. Walk away and let go. Because ultimately, all of us are in relationship with Him. So allow God to deal with His bride. So, Hosea 3, he goes on and he, and he gives us a picture of Jesus coming. Why does that matter? It matters because that is how God is going to bring restoration. So what, what does that mean for us? That means that we understand that this restoration is not going to happen immediately. Now, unfortunately, they are not stirred by his pleas to repent and be restored. The people of Israel continue to live the way that they're living. A truth like this is being communicated. They're getting up. They're, he's saying all of this. He's, he, he's proclaiming it, right? You've got other prophets proclaiming uh, truths. And what are the children of Israel doing? They're all just kind of tucked in like, it's all good. I got this figured out. They continue on their path. They are hypocrites. They engage in pagan activities. They rely on military power. This was a big one. God was telling them specifically, like, I will rescue you and fight your battles. You do not have to sit here and try to compete in a military level with the rest of the world. I will show up and I will show out. And this was from God to them. They indulge in sexual immorality, living however they want to do, whatever they want to do, with whoever they want to do, and then they pretend to be righteous. Because the picture here is that they show up to the temple and continue to do the things they think are going to make God happy, but they walk away from the temple and they don't really care what makes God happy because they think they can walk back into the temple and it's all going to be good. 
And so the picture that we have is one of continued unfaithfulness. We get to chapters 12 and 13, and, and Hosea goes back, and he's, and he's referencing Jacob's lying, right? Israel's wandering, their demand for a king, and God's saying, you don't need a king. I can lead you, and yet they continue to do what? They continue to live exactly how they want to live, and they continue to pursue being like the nations around them. And then we come to Hosea 14. And we end with this verse here, right? As God is acknowledging that they won't honor their covenant, he reaffirms his patience, his promise to bring healing. And look here at this verse. This is the last thing Hosea says. He says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them but transgressors stumble in them. This is what Hosea is saying, is that this isn't a story, but a picture of God's character. This isn't just something that happened, but this is something that continues to happen. And God's character is this, that it just really doesn't matter what you've done at the point that you repent and come to Him. God is faithful. God will meet you right where you're at. And God's not over here going like, I just need you to give up all your fun. That's what I'm asking you to do. There will be no fun as a Christian. Because it's not the case at all. And it's not an invitation to a life filled with rules and expectation. What it is, is it's an invitation to a better way of living. One commentator talks about the Ten Commandments as being this picture of not like, hey, now that I've got you here, I need to give you some restrictions and set some regulations up, but instead being a picture of how that they, were, they had come from a land filled with the rules of hundreds of gods. There was a rule for everything. They needed, to, they needed to do a certain thing if they wanted the crops to grow, and they needed to do a certain thing if they wanted to have children, and they needed to do a certain thing if they wanted healing to take place. And, and they had to be thinking in terms of like what the next year was going to look like, and so there was a whole other God for, for that, and then they needed to be able to regulate the temperature, and so they were, there was a whole other God for that. And God says, look, you guys have come out with a lot of legalism, and I want to tell you that there really are 10 simple steps to having better lives. And some of it means living different than you've been living, but the truth is that if you'll do it, your life will be better. And they choose not to, and Assyria comes in, devastates their land. Let's stand to our feet. Assyria comes in, devastates the land. What do they do? They repeat their unfaithfulness, right? Jesus will come, and Jesus will come, and he'll, 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 he'll change the, the, the way that the church even looks. And we'll be 2,000 years removed from that moment and instead of experiencing all of the healing and restoration that he came to bring, we will continue to remain divided, right? Forgetting often why he came. He came because we are the unfaithful one in the relationship. 
and he was going to forgive us and make the atonement for restoration. Can I tell you today, that's how much God loves you, is it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. He wants to meet you at the foot of a cross. And he wants to give you the opportunity to be able to lay down all those transgressions at his feet so that he can lift you up and hold you in his arms. Jesus came to heal our hearts, to bring hope, and to restore life. He's actively at work doing this today because Jesus is not dead. The price was paid, right? But the act of love is one that continues to be acted on. And he's coming back for his bride. And, and my invitation for you today is this, that if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, this is not some really complicated thing. The scripture says that, 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 that you will have a moment in your life where you will have to make that decision and that the Holy Spirit will be doing a work. Not me, not my words. Listen, let me tell you something. If I, if I manipulate your emotions to a place where today you go, well, what Pastor Jim said is really powerful, so I, I must need to know this Jesus, it, it's not gonna last. Like you need to be the person who's having that, that moment where, where the Holy Spirit is pressing on you. You'll know when it's happening and you'll, you'll be sitting here thinking like, I need Jesus. Like I'm looking at my life and going, I, I'm a mess. I need Jesus. And the scripture says that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Paul will give some extensive teaching on what it looks like to be a Christian because there'll be a group of people who will say, well, I'm saved, I'm good. I can go do what I wanna do because God's grace is sufficient. It'll cover all my sins. And he says, so, so should, should we go out and sin all the more so that grace can abound all the more? He says, of course not. He says that when we become children of God, what happens is we change the way that we live. Why? Because one, we believe that he is the only one that can save us. And two, that he has our best interest at heart. And so if he has our best interest at heart, he's not gonna do things that hurt us. And maybe that's a struggle for you because you have an experienced relationship like that. Maybe you didn't have a mom and a dad who were constantly vying for you and they had your best interest at heart. The unfortunate reality is that we have a lot of broken relationships in our world. And sometimes it's between a husband and a wife. Sometimes it's between best friends or brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's between parents and their children. And all of that brokenness spills over and creates problems for the people around them. And so maybe you, you don't know exactly what it looks like to be in a relationship with somebody who genuinely has your best interest at heart. The invitation is to walk into that relationship with God, trusting that everything that he's asking you to do and all that he's asking you to be and everywhere that he's asking you to go is because he believes that it is what is best for you and will bring the greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. And so if we could, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment in this place, if that's you today and you would say, I am that person who, who is not in right relationship with God and today I want to repent. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to embarrass you, but if you would just raise your hand because I'd love to pray with you today. 
saying, I, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Amen. Amen, I see those hands. You can put them down. Church, with our heads bowed for just a moment, the scripture says that if we'll, if we'll just come to him and make it the cry of our heart, he is faithful to meet us there. The word says that he stands at the door knocking, that if anybody opens, he'll happily come in. So if you raise your hand today, I want you to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I admit that I desperately need you to be Lord of my life. I can't do this on my own. And I want to be changed and transformed today. I want to be a different person. And so today, I ask you to meet me where I'm at. I ask you to lead my life and give me direction. In your mighty name, amen. Guys, can we just shout for those that made that decision today? God is good. Listen, we're going to take a moment and end with just a quick song, a moment to reflect. Can I encourage you today, if, you've, if you have been through a devastating relationship, if you are walking through hurt and brokenness right now, I promise you that God understands, that God fully appreciates the wounds and the scars, and He is there to receive you today as His child. Can I tell you, can I tell you, He wants to do that? Amen, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do and all that you are. Have your way in our lives. Help us to walk in right relationship with you and give us the strength to be the best part of every relationship we're in here on this world. Give us the compassion to be able to let go of those who have hurt us so that they can be with you and allow us to move on as your children in your mighty name. Amen. Let's take a moment and sing. Thanks so much for joining us online. We hope you were impacted by the word of God you heard today. We want to help you navigate your next steps if you made a decision for Christ today or simply need prayer. If you want more information about our church, visit us online at citychurch.life. If you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to citychurch.life forward slash give. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you at church.